You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. She raised herself up from his lap, pushing with her free hand while the other stayed wrapped around his leg. Taking a sleepy breath, she rested on her elbow and looked up at him as he reclined on the pillow. He was looking back at her through heavy, contented lids with a lazy, crooked smile. On anyone else, it would look smug. On him, it was frustratingly endearing. I need water, she said. She picked herself off the bed and strode across the room to the table. The candlelight shone against the bare skin of her legs as she walked, making them glow a warm, radiant amber. He enjoyed the sight. Molly had been staying in the cramped room for months. Though it wasn't fancy with its bare wooden floorboards and plain wallpaper, it had all she needed. She had struck a deal with the inn owner so she received room and board in exchange for work. It was supposed to be a temporary arrangement, a whistle-stop on her way to the city, where she would see her passion realised. She was going to dance anywhere and on any stage she could. But months later, she was still here. It was a lonely place, the only stop on a winding road that spread over the landscape like a smile. The inn sat between two neighbouring towns and was designed to serve as a place where travellers could stop to eat, drink and sleep. It wasn't hard work, as they were rarely busy, and there were times when Molly wondered how old Tom managed to keep the place going. But after hardly any time at all, the work wasn't the only thing that kept her here. Eventually, she met him. She sipped on her water and stared at him, naked to the waist, his unfastened black trousers his only adornment. His kicked-off boots were carelessly scattered across the floor, and now one of his long bare feet dangled carelessly over the edge of her bed. She thought he looked like a painting. She hated herself for admiring him in this way, but she couldn't help herself. She thought he was the stuff of poetry, songs and ballads could be written about him, though given his reputation, she was sure that someday they would be. Seven months had passed since they met. He struck her initially as being very handsome, with his dark aquiline features and eyes like deep pools in a forest. But when he first spoke to her, she found him earnest and charming. So when she was told that he was a criminal, part of a gang that had been causing trouble across several towns across the county, she was stunned. The way the locals spoke of him, she would have thought him to be a rough, boorish brute with no sense of decency. But they clearly didn't see what she did. What is that? he asked, pointing to a mirror on the wall, the surface of which had been covered by a tightly wrapped towel. A mirror, she responded. He chuckled. I know that. Why have you covered it? Have you come over all superstitious? Maybe, she paused, leaving the thought incomplete. Tristan cocked his head, intrigued. 
Molly stirred the water in her glass as she considered how to respond. I keep seeing something in it, she said pensively. The words hung in the air for a moment before Tristan realised she wasn't going to explain what the something was. Well, what was it? She dropped her eyes to the floor. It was a ghost, she said after a moment. A ghost, Tristan was smiling. She could see he didn't believe her, but she had expected that. Well, now I'm intrigued. What does it look like? His tone was calm, but she could hear the trace of a laugh lurking behind it. She shook her head. Her hair tumbled against the thin fabric of his shirt that she had put on to stave off the chill. You don't believe me. You're just going to tease me, and it frightened me far too much for you to make me feel like a fool. He held his hands up as if in submission. If I promise not to tease, would you tell me then? Molly considered him for a moment, then relented. She walked back across the cramped room, sat on the edge of the bed, and pressed her water glass to her chest. It's a woman. She stands behind me, looking at me. She was wearing what looked like a white dress. Tristan leaned forward. Ah, I see. And it couldn't possibly have been your reflection, he said, pointing to her discarded white nightdress, laying in a heap on the floor. No, and you promised not to make fun. He nodded in apology and motioned for her to continue. She's always looking at me, like she hates me. Her face is entirely covered in blood. It flows from a big hole in her forehead, so much that there's barely a feature of her face to be seen. She frightens me. After a few times, I simply covered the mirrors so I wouldn't see her anymore. The earnestness of her tone surprised Tristan. So, what are you going to do? Spend the rest of your days without a mirror? Please don't joke about it, Tristan. She frightens me. But what frightens me more is that she might be here because of you. Tristan was taken aback at this. Molly's expression hardened, and she looked at him tentatively. Tristan, I'm wondering if maybe... Her voice dropped to nearly a whisper. I wonder if maybe it could be someone you killed. Someone you hurt. Tristan sat up. It wasn't like Molly to bring up the things he did while he was away. It was a topic neither of them liked to address. Don't you think, if that was the case, this ghost would be haunting me? Molly shook her head. Tristan, if you have a home anywhere, it's here. Whenever you're not away on the road, this is where you stay. No one else might know that, but it's the truth. It's haunting your home. He took her hand in his, and she felt the roughness of his palm. I've fought more men than a person should. I've hurt people. I've done things I'm not proud of. Those weapons over there aren't strangers to action. He gestured to the large knife and pistol that lay on the table. But I've never killed anyone. Especially not a woman. And I hope I never will. She stared at him searching his expression for any trace of deceit. She found none.
So, I'm afraid it has nothing to do with me. You'll have to take up any hauntings with the landlord, he said, reclining in the bed again and grinning that crooked smirk. Molly laughed, leaned forward and kissed him. Although, I may not have to. If tomorrow goes to plan, of course, she said. Ah, of course, he smirked. The last job. The one to buy you out of the gang, and with enough left over to buy us out of here. He held up a finger. With enough left over to buy us out of here, and into a very comfortable life in the city, he corrected. Then no more worries over fighting or killing, or serving drinks to fools, or ghosts in your room. I can buy us a house, and you, you can dance. The familiar flash of excitement gleamed in her eyes. A mischievous grin tightened over his lips. Dance for me, he said. What? You've spooked me. Made me realize the risk I'm taking. If I were to have any regrets in this life, it would be to go and get killed without seeing you dance one last time. Molly smiled back at him. And what about music, she said. He withdrew his hands from under the pillow and began to clap out a keen rhythm. She laughed, bowed her head in acquiescence and got to her feet. She danced across the room to his rhythms, moving her body with poise and grace while the candlelight cast shadows on the wall. She danced on and on until the early hours and they forgot all talk of ghosts, of violence and of fear. On and on, he clapped and she danced. He clapped and she danced. The light broke through the gap in Molly's curtains. She knew instantly he was gone. Even if he hadn't told her he would be up before first light, he had a way of always being able to leave silently. She would hardly ever hear him wake, dress, or leave the room. She didn't even hear the sound of his horse as he rode away. She supposed that was what made him such a good thief. Molly opened her eyes and felt the familiar, hollow feeling she would get each time he left, and the morning light which left everything feeling colder than the night before. But this time there was something different. Glinting in the small shaft of sunlight on her table was a silver shape. Molly lumbered out of bed and reached for it. She knew it instantly. Tristan had left his ring behind for her, and she knew this was his way of telling her he would be back. She smiled and kissed it before placing it on her middle finger, the only one it would fit. The hollow feeling abated slightly, and Molly threw her curtains open. The light may have been cold, but she was going to let it fill the room. The change to her mood was instant as the sunlight chased away the shadows within. Her mind grew clearer and started filling with thoughts of the future, of everything she had ever dreamed of being within her grasp, and for the very first time in a meaningful way, she allowed herself to feel excited and with a spring in her step, 
she set about picking up her haphazardly discarded clothes from the floor and tidying them away. She made her bed and picked up the bottles and glasses they had left around the room. After these chores were done, she found herself stood before the round wall mirror, tightly wrapped in the towel, and contemplated it for a moment. She took a deep breath, then loosened the binding and let the fabric fall to the floor in a heap. Molly looked into the looking glass, only to find the ghost woman there behind her, staring through a crimson mask of blood leaking from a gaping, violent hole in her head. Molly screamed and threw herself to the floor to pick up the fallen towel. She kept her eyes fastened shut as she brought it back to the mirror, pressing the fabric against the glass with both hands, afraid of leaving any crack of glass visible and seeing the woman's horrible face again. In her fear, she thought about breaking the glass, but then realised that she ran the risk of turning one vision of that terrible wraith into hundreds all staring at her with fiery eyes in each fractured shard. Her body trembled as she stood in the middle of the lonely room. Eventually her legs gave way, and she fell onto the bed. Doubt overcame her, replacing the excitement that was there only seconds ago. The clouds shifted over the sun. The light grew cold once more. There was barely a moon to be seen. The darkness upon the road that night was almost absolute, so as to slow Tristan's efforts as he rode. From time to time, he would see the glow of a lantern from one of his pursuers, and he was forced to ride faster still, running the risk of oblivion as he dashed further along a road he couldn't see. He had been riding for hours, and every time he thought he had lost the men chasing him, he would hear the clattering of their horses speeding toward him, or see the aforementioned shine of their telltale lamps. In the space of a few hours, his entire brotherhood had been shattered. How had everything gone so wrong so fast? Someone in the gang must have double-crossed them, warned the town in advance, long enough for them to assemble and arm their own band that were ready and waiting for them. And for what? A bargain to avoid hanging? As if the lion wouldn't eat you if you fed it. Everyone else was either captured or killed by now. Tristan was exhausted. His horse was too. It must have been past midnight already, and it had been a while since he had seen or heard from anyone else on the road. He desperately began daring to hope that he had finally lost them, or that they had given up their pursuit altogether. Tristan slowed his horse down to a gentle trot, to which the horse gratefully obliged. Listening through the silence of the night, he strained for any hint of those chasing him. Nothing. Just the sound of the wind and the calls of one or two nightbirds. Relief raced through him, and he took a few moments to catch his breath. Then, feeling it was an acceptable risk, he changed his course and began to ride off in the direction of Old Tom's Inn. The lonely minutes ticked by, with only the indifferent moon as his companion. Thirst burned in his throat as he searched the paths ahead for the familiar glow of the inn's porch lamp. Mercifully, it appeared. 
two lights shone, one from the porch, and the other he could tell was from Molly's room. Tears formed in his eyes as he realised she was the last friend he had in the world. He couldn't wait to be in her arms again. He pulled his horse into the stable and brought her to a stop. After so many hours of moving, it felt strange, like a sailor stepping onto dry land after a long voyage. With an effort and great discomfort, he dismounted and had to take a few seconds to reorient himself before settling the horse into a stall. He had just fed her and closed the door when he heard a low rumbling from somewhere outside the barn. Instantly, fear clogged the back of his throat. It couldn't be, he thought. The band from Croton. Somehow they had gained ground and were now heading this way. The rumble of their approach grew louder, and Tristan knew there was no time to retrieve and resaddle his horse. He looked around for anywhere to hide, but knew that anywhere he tried would be in vain. They would no doubt search every part of the inn and the barn. Outside the stable and across the road, there were miles of fields secluded by the darkness. If he could make it over the crest of the hill just beyond, he could hide out in the wild for as long as it would take for them to move on. The sounds of hooves beating the road was getting louder still. There was no time left. He grabbed his knife and his pistol and sprinted as quickly as his shaking legs could manage over the road and away from the porch light's glow. He saw the first traces of the horses come around the bend as he was halfway up the hill and he desperately threw himself forward and scrambled over the last remaining steps. As he rolled over the edge, he lay upon the wet grass and listened to the men as they came to a stop outside of the inn. Their voices were loud and unpleasant, and one of them barked orders to the others to search every inch of the building. One of them banged on the door to wake old Tom, who must have already been disturbed by the commotion as the door opened very shortly after. Tristan crawled towards a nearby tree, the only thing nearby that could offer any form of cover, but it still wasn't enough. If any man decided to follow him this way, he'd be discovered for sure, and he didn't have the strength to outrun them. He cocked his pistol with his trembling hands. He wished he wouldn't have to use it, but he was in no shape for any other fight. His knife would be useless. If any man got close, it'd be likely they would overpower him, and he would be killed with his own blade. The sound of the men stomping through the inn carried on, and he was glad he'd decided to run, or he would already be captured. Tristan was beginning to feel as though he might just elude them, when he heard leaves being disturbed over the hill, and then the rapid sound of quiet footsteps getting closer. His heart hammered, and his breathing grew panicked. He stood frozen to the spot, hoping that his feeble attempt at a hiding place might shield him from notice, but he knew the thin pine wasn't enough to do so. He raised his pistol and took a deep breath to steady it in his hands. The shadow of a figure sped over the threshold of the hill, and when its silhouette came into view, Tristan took aim and fired. The flash of the shot illuminated the night for a split second, and the sound resounded across the grassy fields. 
followed shortly by a sickening cry. The men all took notice at once, and the leader ordered them all to converge on the source of the shot immediately. They all ran across the road and hurried up the hill with their lanterns held high and weapons at the ready. But the sight they found was not what they were expecting at all. They found the man they sought, screaming desperately, kneeling close to the body of another, someone who wore a silver ring on their middle finger. The woman had been shot straight through the head. Blood poured freely from the wound, covering her face, and was seeping down under her white nightdress, staining it a horrible, violent red. This story was written by Andrew Bate and read by Chloe Gorman, with music also by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.